Today on the show, forgiveness from the courtroom, phrases to help with teen life. Catholic families are weird, right? Our picks of the week and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts right now. It is time for the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and pretty much everywhere else and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 406. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, you know him, Kathleen Lee, the executive director of the Women's New Life Clinic uh, here in Baton Rouge. Hey, Kathleen. Well, hello. Yes, indeed. And Olivia Galino, she is the student of life and resident Italian food critic uh, on the show and just in general. Hey, Olivia. Hello. Also, uh, if we head up to space and to the satellite of love up there, Jeff Blackwell on the Jeff Star One, he is our technical director, and um, he's just orbiting at a low orbit, Yes, but always with high hopes. And it's potluck night. Here oh, too. potluck oh. night. Yeah, so that means you have like all your space pills that are all you know, <laughs> three and four Bring course your meals. Tube. Yeah, <laughs> your favorite tube. There you go. And then, of course, if you happen to be watching us uh, anywhere video is served, Ed Ball is the guy who is responsible for that. So we're always grateful to Ed. 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 That's right. This show brought to you by Ed. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, you probably saw this in the news because it was heavily heavily covered, Mm -hmm. uh, but that was um, a guilty verdict, a guilty verdict that was reached against Amber Geiger, she was the former Dallas police officer who shot and killed uh, a man named Botham Jean last year. She was sentenced, uh, she was found guilty, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and she's eligible for parole uh, after five years. So this, this case got national coverage, and um, it really is something because it didn't get headlines for just the what happened, sure. right? Yeah. But it got headlines uh, and was nationally covered because of what happened in the courtroom. There was mm-hmm. an extraordinary moment of grace that occurred between uh, Geiger and the members of, um, of, of Botham's family. Mm-hmm. So during the course of the victim impact statements, uh, Brant Jean, who is the deceased's uh, brother, he, he was sitting behind in the, in the witness stand. Mm-hmm. He was sitting there, and, and he told Geiger and the court, uh, and I quote, If you are truly sorry, if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you, Brant Jean said. Uh, and he said, and I quote, And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, but I love you just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. And then he went even further. I mean, so there's obviously some some soul searching happening here as yeah. he's speaking. He says, and I wasn't, and I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but presently I want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail, unquote. Mm-hmm. And and he kept going. He mm-hmm. said, I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? And he asks several times. And so after that statement, uh, uh, Judge Tammy Kemp allowed mm-hmm. him to come around and to go and, and to, um, to, hug, um, mm-hmm. to hug Amber. And the, you can, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes so you can watch the video on YouTube, but it really was quite moving. Yeah. Um, well, even the judge, you know, like she took a, a, a beat to answer his question about whether or not he could hug 
uh, Amber, but whenever the like video panned out after she said yes, you could see her like dabbing her eyes with yeah. tissue. Like she was openly crying. Yeah. Well, because I mean, this is, and the reason that we cover it certainly on the Catholic Underground is because this was an actual moment of forgiveness. Yeah. And yeah. and it was also a moment where justice is served but justice is not divorced from mercy. Right. Because as you've heard us say before on the show, and we talk about one of the, the injustices in our world is that justice is divorced from mercy. And so Amber still has to serve her time in prison. Mm-hmm. She's still, you know, she's still guilty of the crime, but she's forgiven by, by at least one of the family members, yeah. uh, the brother of the person who she killed. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is, it is quite something to, to look at, at this from all of these angles and yeah. to say that this is true justice and true mercy. And I, I can only think of the Psalm where, where justice and mercy embrace, they kiss. Right, yeah. And this was one of those moments that that Psalm just kind of raced through my head. And I said, justice right. and mercy have kissed in this moment. Mm-hmm. Because she, um, you know, to watch the video, she was already sobbing yeah. uh, yeah. by the time that, um, that, that Brant came over to hug her. Uh, and as we often say, tears, uh, I say this in the confessional, you know, tears are the almost the most perfect form of contrition yeah. because tears show that there's something that is going on on an emotional level, but something deeper too. Yeah. They often, tears come from the heart, you mm-hmm. know? And so uh, that's exactly what happened. He went over and, and Brant hugged um, Amber and uh, the, the two stood in an embrace for nearly a full minute mm-hmm. and she kept coming back to hug him. And it really, really was quite something. Mm, she kept yeah. coming back and coming back. Um, when the trial concluded, uh, Judge Kemp um, left the bench herself, and mm. she approached the Brandt family to offer condolences. And then she went over to Amber Geiger, and um, the judge gave Geiger a copy of the Bible mm-hmm. and directed her to that v- verse that we know so well, John three sixteen, which she, she said would strengthen Geiger. So again, you can see that the judge, of course, the judge is 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 there present to act on behalf of of the state, sure. uh, the state of Texas, and on behalf of the people, and to rule uh, justly. Right, that's what a judge does. And yet, the judge did not divorce herself as being a, a woman of faith, but rather she she allowed her faith to inform mm-hmm. how she passed down the verdict. And again, you see the judge showing a, a form of mercy yeah. by directing her to the scriptures. So Brant says, the best thing you can do to, to, um, to kind of um, atone for my brother is to give yourself to Christ. And then the judge provides the method by which that can happen. Of course, we don't know Amber's situation. I don't know if she was a believer or not. I right. mean, you know, uh, just about everybody, I think, in Texas is Christian yeah, of one form or another, Christian. you know. But to be reintroduced to, to John 3.16... Um, and then to, to let those words be the ones that go with her as mm-hmm. she as she goes to serve her term uh, yeah. in prison. Um, the judge leaned in to speak privately to Geiger, uh, whose response made Kemp explain, it's not because I'm good, it's because I believe in Christ. Um, the judge told Amber, you haven't done so much that you can't be forgiven. You did something bad in one moment in time. What you do now matters. Mm-hmm. What you do now matters. And I think that's oftentimes the things that, that we forget in our lives. And that's why people, I think, stay away from like the sacrament of reconciliation is because something happens in our life where we think that not only can I not be forgiven by human beings, but I can't be forgiven by God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, if you've ever done any work in, in the prison system, there, there are many men and women who have done reprehensible things right. and, are, and are kind of, you know, have to deal with the consequences of their actions. 
but it does not mean that God won't forgive them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And furthermore, it doesn't mean that, um, that God isn't having mercy upon them, right. even as they are serving mm-hmm. their just sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what struck me um, about this was that this is uh, uh, Botham's younger brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's a young man, and he doesn't look more than, you know, early, probably early 20s. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you have to imagine the, you know, for me, I've just been imagining just this this loss in his life and how easy it would be him for him to be angry mm-hmm. um, and how incredible it is for just such a young person to to on his own and probably you know in the midst of a lot of of you know a lot of public well outlet. now I mean yeah now he has to uh, I, I not don't want to say suffer but right. now he has to deal with his family life yeah. right because exactly. other members of the family may not be there right. Right. um and and so that that is a courageous and a bold mm-hmm. movement to say i can't speak for anybody else but but f- yeah. speaking for myself um i choose to yeah. forgive and i suppose that's the sermon in there for us mm-hmm. is is can we speak on our own can we speak apart from all of the other uh external pressures yeah. around us and whenever we are wronged by somebody can we Say, well, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm willing to forgive Mm -hmm. and I'm willing to to ask the Lord to help me forget in some sense, you know, because that's always a a challenge, too, is that we we forgive as human beings. But oftentimes we don't forget because we're human beings. Yeah. You know, and I think it may not be that, you know, he he's completely without anger. Right. Right. Because you can imagine like the the. I don't know, I, I can only conceptually conceive of what he's going through, but you can imagine that there's probably still some anger, but just like the beauty of it is that he's not letting him, not letting that rule him. Yeah. You know, right. like he's not letting that become the thing that defines him or the yeah. thing that um, guides his actions from here on in, but he's choosing to like to be that proper ro- voice and authority over that. And I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about this. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes our desire for for revenge and not for, or, or I guess say for vengeance and not for justice, that then becomes an idol that we begin to worship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes, it's sad because we can call that that idol God, um, and we, we do, we call it, we, we kind of um, say it's, it's my version of justice. Uh, I, I want God's will to be done in this moment. Right. And, and we forget that you know, the, the battle is the Lord's, justice is his and his alone, the, the ultimate carrying out of justice. And, um, and so it's, it's really kind of a beautiful thing, as you say, to see the younger brother, the, the young one leading mm-hmm. yeah. and saying, I'm not, gonna let, I'm not going to let this corrode right. um, my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really is kind of a beautiful thing. And so yeah, you, may, uh, you may just kind of in your own life to say, well, who is it that I need to be bold Mm. as well and, and forgiving and maybe who is it that I need to be bold enough to, to humble myself and, and seek forgiveness from because it is possible and as you say though justice must be done mercy can never right. be divorced from justice and to, so to see a young man extend mercy extend mercy right. is a really beautiful thing so uh, I, this is one of those beautiful little meditations that may make it into an Advent or, or a Lenten homily yeah. you know mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what a beautiful gift it is for for her, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And we th- we think all the time when somebody gets sentenced or you know when they've done something wrong that let's just throw them away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but what a beautiful gift and for her to to walk into her her sentence with you know with that yeah with some sort of relief. Right. Is it possible you know? to go to jail and be joyful at the same time? Yeah. You know, um, not because you're twisted. Right. But but because you've been forgiven. Mm-hmm by yeah. the assailant and and now you can serve your term and say yes I did this 
Yeah. But it, it's no longer uh, that serving of the term isn't a limit for what comes next. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's really quite something. Quite something mm. indeed. Well, uh, if you want to let us know what you think about it, you can. Backchat at CatholicUnderground.com is the uh, email address. You can leave a comment on our website at CatholicUnderground.com, or you can always join us in the Facebook chat at 7 p.m. Central on Sunday night and uh, let us know what you think live and in person in the chat room. All right, well, uh, one of the things that we want to remind you that, well, you, you know it's coming. We are the Catholic Underground. I get to do all week long. You are listening to, you are watching, you are experiencing the Catholic Underground. We're online at catholicunderground.tv, on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicunderground, on youtube.com slash catholicunderground, on Twitter at twitter.com slash cathunderground, because you got to keep it short. They don't have enough letters there. Our picks of the week are coming up, um, but first, Mm. we thought we'd... we'd, uh, Give the wheel over to Kathleen for a little while. Now, yeah. buckle um, up, Buttercup. Kathleen, <laughs> oh, take the wheel. <laughs> well, what's interesting for for both of you? See, I, yeah. I've only taught young people in the classroom in like a parish school of religion yeah. setting, but y'all have had uh, and and Olivia, you experience life with teenagers uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about what it's like to be yeah. in in the garden of teens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and this is an area where I still sit at Kathleen's feet. Oh, Lord. Well, it is, it <laughs> is in her wise, wisdom. Yeah. <sighs> imbibe her wisdom just from, from years of experience. We know that raising teenagers, now I don't have any of my own, but I've raised, I think I could positively <laughs> say, I think that um, I've helped raise a couple hundred uh, teenage girls. Yeah, I'd say that's true. Um, but you know that if you've ever met a teenager, sometimes Sometimes they can be uh, a little difficult mm-hmm. and um, like you're walking in a minefield, um, but they're, they're awesome people if you know how to approach them <laughs> and if you know the right words to say. And so a lot of times I think, um, you know, as teachers, as youth ministers, as parents, um, we have a tendency. I know there was something in my brain that switched when I was a teacher. And I remember like one of my students was like, was talking to me and I was like, excuse me, I'm an adult. <laughs> and then was like, you're gonna talk to me with respect because I'm an adult. And I was like, wait, that doesn't, wait. I've just become make, my mother. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So so our friends at Alatea have given us yeah. some, um, some, some, maybe some ways to rephrase or to, to talk to teenagers. So the number one is- By the way, we like lists. Yeah, we so do love we our lists, mm-hmm. right? And so um, the number one, uh, the first one they give you is, here's what needs to be accomplished today. Right. Mm-hmm. Try this phrase rather than this is what you need to do or do this now. Mm-hmm. Do this now because I said so. Right. Mm-hmm. Teenagers want to be treated more like adults and less like kids. Mm-hmm. And this um, this phrasing, here's what needs to be accomplished today, um, gives them more control. It doesn't give them, you know, it doesn't mean it has to be done right now. You know, this is this is just where we are. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, this is where you need to be. So it's right. It's kind of like giving them the homing beacon for right. the next twenty four hours. Yeah, and it allows them um, some latitude as they as to when they do it, mm-hmm. um, how they do it. It gives them a little bit of freedom. So, for instance, this needs to be, this needs to be done before dinner time. Mm-hmm. So you get a little less resistance that way. I mean, you know, it, it may be Sunday morning. You're saying, okay, this needs to be done before dinner. They have all day to do it. Um, and 
uh, especially if, if you kind of say, hey, you can't <laughs> you can't eat until you do this. Yeah, right. But then oh, it needs to yeah. be that you have all day to do it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I yeah. like to phrase it in terms of like, all right, so you have some choices to make mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. You know? um, and I'm inviting you to make a good choice and yeah. thinking about like two days from now, three days from now, right. when there's something due or there's something that you have that might be more, um, more pressing in your mind, you know, so make right. a good choice now, yeah. lower stress later mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, thing. I, I used to be a teen. And uh, and I, really? I yeah I, I was, actually don't believe that what? I think that you you came out this way I was I was decanted at thirty yeah. well maybe Aldous Huxley was right no no I was I was a teenager and uh, many people remember my teenage years and We've I seen all, the pictures there are pictures I I, I enjoyed having choices mm-hmm. you know so that you have a limited kind of buffet of choices but you still right. feel like you're you're of being able to step out on your own a little bit and, yeah. and choose. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really cool. I mean, like, how many of us, some of us need, are like, I'm, I need to get from, or we need to be told, you need to get from point A to point B, and this is exactly how you need to do right. it. Mm-hmm. A lot of teenagers say, I need you to get from point A to point B. Go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And they'll figure it out and it empowers them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, number two, um, I love this one. What do you think you mm-hmm. should do? A lot of times as adults, we say, well, you, what you should do is blah, 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 you know, and, um, um, it's not about assigning chores, right. Or, um, or assigning, you know, life lessons. This is what you should do. Uh, but helping your teen problem solve on his or her own. Right. And so, um, what do you think you should do is a, is an opportunity for them, um, to feel in control of, of their choices, mm-hmm. right? It also avoids having your teen feel like you're constantly telling him or her, her what to do. How many times do we hear teenagers say, you're always telling me what to do. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. I still tell people that. You know, I was at the football game last night and they were like, get, get loud. And I go, don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do what I want. Right? <laughs> I'm going to be quiet. Yeah. That's right. You know, and a lot of times, you know, when we talk to teens, they, they, they don't, problem solve they don't know how to because they're never given the chance to yeah it's this is what you need to do yeah and and i need you to a b c get it done Mm -hmm. you know and i Um, find that uh, nowadays uh, young people tend to i've even heard it father just tell me what to do right yeah and i mean i've even said well i i'd love to tell you exactly what to do and i can give you uh, kind of a scenario to follow Mm -hmm. however uh, I want you to think your way through mm, this. This yeah. usually it's like a moral quandary, you know, right. um, and and to be able to give them some latitude, as you say, to problem solve, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and to draw upon the resources that that uh, you have learned as a young person. You know, yeah. um, you have such a, an inestimable value as a teenager because, as Saint Benedict reminds his monks. Uh, always listen to the young monks because they have the benefit of youth mm-hmm. and the young pe- the young monks have to listen to the old ones because they have the benefit of wisdom right. but that that doesn't mean that that a teenager can't come at an angle come at a problem right. from a, a new kind of angle and actually teach me something you right. know mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah what do you think you should do yeah mm-hmm. a lot of times and you know I see that I saw this in teaching even the way that we educate our kids sometimes um, can be very I'm going to give you the information. I'm going to give you all the information that you that you need to reproduce. You're going to reproduce it, and then you're going to move on. Mm-hmm. So they don't know how to how to problem solve. They don't know how to imagine. They don't know how to think of things, you know, kind of on their own. Um, and so I think that's that's excellent. So number three, um, the phrase is, "Who will remember this one week from now, or even a month from now?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we know teenagers 
are get embarrassed really easily. They think that everybody is watching them and that, you know, any mistake that they made is going to be on everybody's mind for the rest of their lives. Isn't it amazing how when you when you kind of cross over into adulthood, it's so easy to flush things that yeah, embarrass yeah. you? Yeah. Like, you like you just get back like you know you trip on a sidewalk and you get back up and it's like all right <laughs> but as a, as a teenager stop no as a teenager that hasn't happened that is enough not, times yes. i guess yeah know? yeah so if you ask a teenager who complains about some uh horrifying incident that happened in school who will remember this one week from now or yeah. even a month from now the answer inevitably will be if they think really hard about it mm -hmm. practically no one yeah. if anyone mm -hmm. besides me yeah. besides myself mm -hmm. will remember it till the day we die i still remember things that i did in in elementary school where i'm like oh gosh right right and why is that the case and it's important to to remind teenagers of this because mm -hmm. as freaked out as they are about you know any mistakes that they make so is everybody else mm -hmm. <laughs> and everybody else is thinking they saw me trip in the hall and I'm never going to live it down Tw right. at our 20 year, you know, reunion. They'll be bringing this up on yeah. the, on the blooper reel. And right? maybe so. And if they do that, it's because they themselves have never yeah. moved on. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and 20 uh, years yeah. from now, you're going to go, uh, okay. Lame. Right. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's by right. tomorrow morning, like it's going to be something different. It's going to be somebody mm -hmm. else's story. It's going to mm -hmm. be somebody else's, you know, mistake and you'll be old news. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, that's like whenever I'm training altar servers, you know, they're, they're mortified when something goes wrong or that. And like, it's look, yeah. there's going to be mass next week. And by that time, yeah, I've done plenty of stuff that I, I'm embarrassed sure. about liturgically speaking, you know, yeah. uh, but nobody remembers it from week to week, yeah. you know, unless you burn the church down, in which case, which but that hasn't happened. That'll be, yep. That will yeah. be remembered mm -hmm. for years to come. Yep. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> many, many, many finance committee meetings later. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four. And this is so, oh, uh, this is like number, I don't know. I feel like this is number one in my heart. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. You look when you're dealing with teenage girls, don't ever tell them that you're overreacting and this does not matter, right? That is the worst thing you can do is is to um is to kind of downplay yeah. a teenager's feelings, mm -hmm. right? If they're freaking out about something, obviously it's important to them. They're mm -hmm. they're feeling yeah. something deeply. And yeah. if you know, if we're just like you know, you're overreacting and it's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. Well, then you just totally squash them. And I've mm -hmm. seen it happen to people as adults, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but in the grand scheme of life, right, wearing the same dress as another girl to the party is not that oh, big yeah. a deal, oh, yeah. right? It could be, it, you know, again, you know, they're going to think somebody's going to remember it forever. Don't mm -hmm. sweat it. Who cares? Make it a joke, right? Or as my dad says, make it an adventure. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't oh, go like right, yeah. make it an adventure. I like that. That um, explains my life, Kathleen. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Your dad is so yeah. wise. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Steve, I would, you're so wise. Yeah. I would call my dad and be like, you know, in tears somewhere doing something. And he's like, you know what? You know what, Boog? Do it. Like, make it an adventure. That's uh, all this is. Yeah. An adventure. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> But you know, like, and it okay. was in that Kathleen would just go and stand next to the person yeah. that would have the same dress on and shadow them the whole yeah. night. And I'm like literally yeah. for me, I think that's that <laughs> it that is why I mean I attest that my own personality to this this idea of like yeah. being able to laugh at yourself is a great quality. Um and I I did it kind of as a, a, a defense mechanism. I wanted to make sure people were laughing at me because I controlled it. Ah, you yes. know, rather than something I couldn't control. And so everything turned, you know, every blunder that I made was turned into a joke, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and uh, not everybody has that 
ability. Um, but it's not that it, it really, you know, how, how do you tell your teens? It's not that big a deal without downplaying it. Yeah. You know, don't sweat it, man. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. That's another thing. My dad, I mean, here's, here's to dad, you know, that, that is this one thing. It's going to be, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, the truth will out. It all comes out in the wash. Olga yeah. says in the chat room, it's so hard for me to not sweat the small stuff. She says being a mom though, is making it easier to just let it go. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd imagine as a mom, like that's, that's a necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can only, you can only carry so much of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus your family stuff. You know, you got to know when, when to, yeah. When to hold them and when to fold them. Oh, especially mm-hmm. if it's laundry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, what is the worst thing that can possibly happen? Oof, yeah. yeah. You can use this phrase, for example, if your teen uh, is in anguish over the need to ace a test or get into, co- into the college of his or her dreams. In, mm-hmm. my, like in my life, I've always been like, what is the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. I'm going to prepare for that yeah. <laughs> and then be, be mildly shocked when you know it when things don't go that way right Mm -hmm. when it doesn't blow up in my face when i don't get kicked out of high school and have to go you know get a job and support myself because my mom (laughs) has disowned me no like you know that's it's it what is the worst that could happen yeah which is a good thing to be able to um authentically reflect with your yeah about yeah when i kind of in a uh, like slightly different way i related to this like i remember you know i was kind of high strung as a teenager yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's fine um just like wanting to like be like as perfect as possible like do the best to get right. the good grades right but i remember my dad telling me one time does this affect your salvation no and i like oh, yeah. i remember dad's, that the deal? yeah right dad's <laughs> just the fount of all wisdom dad's dadding i still mm. remember that and i still carry it with me when i start to freak out about stuff like does yeah. this affect your salvation if it doesn't let it go yeah mm. wow yeah nice and last but not least number six this is a hard one for me it it was nice while it lasted. Mm. Like a Green Day song. Yes. <laughs> it was nice while it lasted. Good things in life will inevitably come to an end. Um, like the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream that it you have hiding in your end. freezer. Mm. Right? But focusing on the blessing that was enjoyed, even for a short amount of time, makes you happier than dwelling on the void. And a lot of times, you know, for me, you know, and especially nowadays, I think teenagers live for the next for the next good. Yeah. They're never really present in where they are, or the um, next hit of, right. some, of, yeah. of whatever the experience exactly, is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, um, teaching them to enjoy it while it lasts, yeah, and and know that you know you can look back on it and say that was a great gift in my life, or this was a great time, or that you know what's even harder for teens that was a great friendship. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it, it is no longer, especially when yeah. they move to college and they move. Oh yeah, you know, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So ultimately, the best way to deal with teenagers is through patience, love, and giving them space, but always um, ensuring them that we, as adults, as parents, as as grandparents, as teachers, as mentors, um, that we want to give them that space, but we're always there for them um, when they need us, for sure. Yeah. yeah right. Because they also, as much as they want to fly, you know, jump out the nest. Um, and kamikaze down, you know, you're like, Ugh. um, you, they, they will inevitably turn back around and say, I need you. That's yeah. true. And of course, to remember to, to cover the relationship that you have with your child at every stage in prayer. Absolutely. We're going to take a moment for prayer. Stick right with us. We are at the Catholic underground.
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Welcome back. You found the Catholic Underground with me, Father Chris Decker, with Kathleen Lee. She's there. Olivia Galino, also there. Jeff Blackwell, Ed Ball, and a host of angels, we presume, because oh, yes. yeah, uh, our guardian angels probably work overtime on this show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're glad. We're glad, because we're here. Our picks of the week are coming up, but first, Catholic families are well, different. Yes. A little weird because Catholics are weird. Huh? We, we readily admit it. And so we thought we would talk about uh, some of the things that make the Catholic family different. Mm-hmm. You can probably expand this to say, you know, Christian families. Right. But there is some, there's something about the Catholic ethos, the Catholic world, mm-hmm. that makes families just a little different. It's a little mm-hmm. bit strange. Yeah. It was a Flannery O'Connor who said something about like the strangeness of grace. Mm. Um, if not, yes, yes. Grace I does. Yeah. That. yeah, Grace like, does strange things to us. It does strange things to us. I mean, that's why, like, I I love like the weirdness of our faith. I love that like things are just like kind of strange and off kilter sometimes, or at least like to the world's eyes, because it's yeah. just a radical way of living. Right. You have the head of Catherine of Siena on the one hand in one church, and the body of Catherine of Siena in another. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is like the funniest thing to describe to people, like why you have a saint splintered into a million pieces, and then oh, their heads in this baldacchino in Rome. Like it's strange, right? But I think that it's because it comes down to grace. Like grace makes things a little bit strange, or mm-hmm. at least it's strange to us. Yeah, um, particular. Make, there you go. Yeah. Um, but I think that that maybe extends to to the the particularity mm-hmm. of like the Catholic family. Um, and so thinking about like the fundamental concept of what a Catholic family is is that participation through grace, right, in the sacramental marriage, that participation in Christ's marriage to His Church. Right. Mm. When we say that Christ is a bridegroom, that's not a metaphor. Mm. Right. No. He is very much a bridegroom who was wed to his bride. Yeah. And that's and us. It's you. Yeah. It's us. Um, and so as Vatican II puts it, Christ fills the church, which is his body and his fullness. I love that. Mm. Uh, with his divine gifts so that it may expand and reach all the fullness of God. Oh, my oh, God. It's kind of like I, I get the sense, certainly sacramentally, this works, but, but the Lord himself is kind of the. Um, the vivifying force, like uh, like a medicine, like you know, whenever you watch those commercials about uh, about Pepto Bismol, and they show you the stomach being being lined with this mm-hmm. pink liquid, you yeah. know, and covered. I get the sense of of that's exactly what Christ the Head mm-hmm. does when he's married to his bride, the Church. All of a sudden, his divine power then begins to diffuse throughout all of its members, which is us, mm-hmm. and so we become the the very very real hands and feet, mm-hmm. the very real mystical body of Christ. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just like the mystical body of Christ, you know, we hear this in Paul's letters about how, you know, every um, person in the body has a different function and it doesn't detract from the other functions just because you don't have that function. Right. 
um, or because you do or don't. Um, he says that, um, or we can think of the family as participating in this marriage to the Christ marriage to the church, but each member is going to do that differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but each member as a family, right, they participate in this greater unit, this, this, um, kind of the sum is greater than the parts sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they participate in this family, and in that way, they allow each other to reach that fullness of God, right? Mm-hmm. But it happens through the grace that's given to be able to to imitate, to actually participate in that real yeah. Christ uh, marriage of Christ to his church. I, I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't think I am. But I, I love the fact that, that parents look at their, their children as they're growing up. Mm-hmm. And they begin to realize in themselves as parents uh, some new gift that they've got or some new um, new ability as a Christian that they have watching their children mm-hmm. grow in virtue and grow uh, in that adventure that is life as they're kind of discovering life for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of that beautiful thing where the sum is greater than its parts, mm-hmm. that each individual member of the family, as the other members grow, then have the capacity to yeah. kind of expand yeah, exactly. As people. Exactly. Yeah. And expand. I mean, even if you have like this particular set of people, right, like your family's size has been, you know, concretized for, for a long time, but you shift and change, mm-hmm. right, as grace works in you, as you experience different things in your life. And so that impacts other people in your family differently. And so you're all like slowly like stretching, right? That's mm-hmm. a, Augustine's uh, metaphor for like the desires of the heart. But I think that it's really fit and apt for this too. Like we slowly like kind of stretch each other, mm-hmm. slowly allow each mm-hmm. other to grow and to grow and to grow so that we have more room for that fullness of God. Yeah, um, and that starts um, with man and woman coming to, to know each other, right? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, just to, to start out, man and woman get to know each other chastely, right? That's not it's something that's... a word that we don't use. It's uh, not. Like, I, I, um, I, I it's also a concept being, that we don't use. I was going to say, I've been, I know of people being named chastity, mm-hmm. but the, the no, notion of, of having a chaste love for... Uh, for the woman that I am courting, huh? For for mm-hmm. the man that the that is being courted by the woman, those, mm-hmm. those beautiful things, huh? Is that it does go both ways, mm-hmm. and and wanting the best for them, and and wanting uh, a pureness in that relationship, mm-hmm. and that's really what chastity is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a willingness to tell the person the truth with yeah. everything that you have, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Uh, the the way that I think about it, like unchastity is really just like as a kind of lie, right? But it's a mm-hmm. lie that's told with the whole person, mm-hmm. right? So. Ch- chastity is really a truth that's told with the heart with the whole person which is that i i'm striving to know you in the in the way that is appropriate for right now right mm-hmm. in this particular state of life where maybe we're discerning something together but we're going to do it in light of the fact that we are not yet married we are not yet mm-hmm. participating in a real way in Christ's marriage to his church and so so you mean that when when uh, man and woman get to know each other in a chaste fashion uh it's it's not just saying we have feelings for each other because oftentimes it's, that's how it gets couched. Right. right. No, and it's not like which isn't to say your feelings aren't important. They no, are. they are. But yeah, they lead, right? Exactly. They mm-hmm. lead, right? Um, like like a the like think of like anagogy, right? Like the um, like anagogically we are led to something greater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so you you are drawn to each other obviously through feelings, right? If you didn't right. have feelings for someone, you probably shouldn't be with that person, mm-hmm. right? But it's all about you know is everything ordered to the good of that person, right? Do you do you live your life based on a love that is based on Christ, right? Do you work daily for the good of the other person? Mm-hmm. And you um, hear and you hear people talking about we were meant for each other, mm-hmm. yeah. and that that doesn't happen just on a level of feeling, no. but only in in true time spent with one another and kind mm-hmm. of 
growing into the, how shall I say, kind of growing into the shape of the other person, right? Yeah, like uh, that. I suppose. Uh, you, yeah. Well, I think chastity teaches you to work for the good of the other person, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not the easiest thing in the world. Right. Um, and I, I think that's part of like what Chesterton says about like this, the, the truth of the church is uh, or the good of the church is um, that it hasn't been like, what is it like hasn't been tried oh, that, that, that it's, it's been, been found been difficult and like, found wanting yeah it's been that it's found difficult and not tried and not tried right so i think that's the, kind of the similar thing with chastity is that it's very difficult but it's doable yeah right but it just takes effort it takes you know yeah. in, in, like and asking and it takes for grace time i know like time. whenever i have couples that sometimes will come to me and say hey we're going to get married and go great what's the courtship been like you know yeah. how how have you gotten to know each other and like well uh, we just met three months ago i'm like well well <laughs> we can start your marriage program but there's more to it you yeah know? exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. so um so the good of the person right it's obviously like what we're what we're aiming for right because the good of the person is to be a saint right, right? Mm-hmm. that's what we're all called towards um you are called to be a saint we had four saints canonized today if you're sure listening did. to this in real time whoop whoop saint john Henry cardinal newman um <laughs> but you are called to be a saint as well and that's that is your your true good is holiness so that should be the aim of the other person, right? Mm-hmm. That's what chaste love is aimed towards is the good of the other person and ultimately the good of the family that comes from that true love, that genuine love. Um, and that good of the, of the person is what God wishes for you, right? And in, so it kind of starts with these like basics of survival maybe, like tending to basic needs. Yep. And then it builds, right? It builds to to the, the emotional level the psychological level right then you get into maybe like the the goodness of marriage but ultimately it's all pointing towards building towards the glory of heaven mm-hmm. right the glory of of sharing in god's goodness as a family as do we a, often think about i mean it's like goes back to the question your dad uh, asked you those many years ago and probably still does does this affect your salvation mm-hmm. and i mean i wonder how many relationships begin uh, or even subsist with with that question of is this good for the salvation of the other person, their right. ultimate salvation? Am I preparing them for heaven? Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Oof. I know. I, I often. Yeah, I, a, I don't a, know. I often. Uh, I'll just question. be honest with you. As a priest, I don't often think about like, well, is this? Will this benefit my salvation? I don't always like give voice to that as I'm discerning something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, true confessions, right? Yes. Yeah, but that that's ex- it's, it's necessary. It's mm-hmm. essential to certainly building up a, a family, but also yeah. building up a family of faith. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so another kind of characteristic about the Catholic family is that, you know, such a family is self-preserving. And what we mean by that is that each member of the family does what he or she can to preserve that family community mm-hmm. understood in this way. Right. We've talked about how this is a family community that's based on grace. It's based on, um, you know, like chastity that's lived out in, in throughout. Right. Not just in the initial stages, but throughout the marriage itself. Right. Extended to the family because it's about the good of the person. Right. So each member of the family does what they can to uphold the integrity of the family. Um, and so we can see how like precious this sort of thing is because mm-hmm. maybe we don't see that very often. Like conceptually, we can understand that this is a precious thing because maybe it's rarity puts that in our mind. Um, mm-hmm. And so really like the, each, the members of each family should learn early, preferably early, that they often will have to be kind of on their own in the mm-hmm. different tasks that they're asked to do in the world um, and, and in their greater communities, right? But 
we hopefully will get support from our extended family, um, from like-minded families, right? So especially because this is such a rare thing, it's like when you when you find someone who thinks the same way that you do or someone who has the same interest as you, you kind of like cling to that person like, okay, I found mm-hmm. one, right? So a lot of times when it comes to the Catholic family where we, you might feel like adrift you know, yeah. in, yeah. The, in the world, like, all right, well, no one understands why we would want to practice NFP or no one would understand why we want to homeschool our kids, right? And so you maybe feel a little bit like on your own mm-hmm. uh, to make those tough decisions. Um, so when you find another Catholic family, it's like you're helping each other preserve like the, the sanctity of your particular family. Oh, and I've seen that before, yeah. that there's a great deal of solidarity when you have a family that goes, are you having this issue with your child's education? Mm-hmm. Are you having this issue in your parish? Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, and, and to be able to seek that true solidarity so that you can actually live the natural law, which is first of all, self-preservation. Right. We wish to preserve our own life. And that's not just from from bodily death, mm-hmm. but we want to preserve our, our own spiritual life as well. And then, of course, we that that um, necessarily spills over into I want to preserve the life of those who are my spiritual and biological progeny. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, that's and that's so that self-preservation does become collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. A collective project. Right. Um, and it's all of those things that make a Catholic family long lasting. Right. Um, so the durability of any family is going to be challenged mm-hmm. um, from the outside as well as inside. Yeah. We've all experienced that, too. That's right. The um, wounds are not always just from the culture at large. The wounds nope. happen on the inside of the family, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Things can crack from the inside just as easily as they can crack from the outside. That's right. Um, and there's that reality that that parents are accompanying each other um, and their children and also their children accompanying their parents throughout different times in life. All right. So um, I, I think that's an important thing to notice, too, because I've heard that a lot, actually, is that um, parents will say something like about their kids that like their children have helped them yeah. to either like evangelize them or help them to come to a deeper understanding of, you know, something vital yeah. for their spiritual life. I hear that more and more. Happened um, in my family. I remember yeah. I was in high school and uh, my mom was a convert, and I came home, and I remember the day. I remember where mom was. I remember what what I where I was, whenever I spoke to her about the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and I had come to believe that Jesus Christ was present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. I was in high school or, or late middle school, uh, and I remember that discussion. Mm-hmm. And my mom later said, uh, "You know, it was it was you." who caused me to to look deeper into what I believed as a Catholic in the Eucharist. Yeah. And when my mom belie- began to, to trust that belief in the Eucharist, I watched her. Mm-hmm. I watched her her change. I watched her grow. And, it, and as a young person, I still that still impacts me today. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it might think we might think that it's a little bit backwards, but it's not right. This is like in the the kind of the perfection of the family is yeah. that like you know the parents give to their children mm-hmm. so that their children will grow up and be able to give in return, and not just to the world, right? It's not just yeah. this like um, endless output into society into the culture, yeah. but it also flows back even on the parents themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that might be like the piece that we sometimes miss. Yeah. And so maybe that's why it's so shocking, or maybe it's just I don't know. I don't know the reasons. I'm not a parent, but like I, I find it so beautiful that that seems to at least being noticed more and more yeah yeah well oftentimes because if we look at where we are uh as a culture it is our children who are rediscovering the traditions of the faith right. and that are kind of bringing yeah. it back into the family as if it's mm-hmm. something new because exactly. it is new for, yeah. for many exactly yeah um and so I think uh, something important to notice that you kind of hinted at a minute ago was also that um you know we have to be aware as families that 
the time for families to be isolated from the surrounding culture is gone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not an option anymore to, to kind of be an Island in the midst of a culture that doesn't understand, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. really like the only other option would seem to be this kind of untiring watchfulness, Mm -hmm. but that's with anything in the culture anymore because nothing at face value is really what it is right. Um, in its essence. So what that means is that everyone has to be properly informed about life and about the world. Um, and most especially about participating in the supernatural life in the church, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many misunderstandings and things that go on, um, that people perpetuate about the church that we have to remain vigilant. Mm -hmm. And that starts in the family, right? What are we teaching our kids? Yeah. I was standing Um, in line to vote yesterday. Uh, and, uh, and I was standing next to a person who, who hadn't been to church in a while. And, uh, I said, well, you know, come to confession. Just come on back. She said, confession. I thought y'all did away with that. I said, when? What? <laughs> you know, and there was, I mean, it was what? a basis for a conversation, yeah. but it was, it was a, an honest, like, oh, well, I, I didn't she know. She just didn't know. It, and, and it was, her. and it was actually, um, kind of imputed because of the culture. The yeah. culture says that, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but no, and, and to, to kind of allow that to flow back in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so putting this kind of awareness that we're talking about into context, John Paul II said that families, quote, have the specific role of interpreting the history of the world in the light of Christ mm. in as much as they are called to illuminate and organize temporal realities according to the plan of God, creator and redeemer. Right. So to take the stuff of the world, basically, and to inject Christ into it and not even just to do that, but just to, to kind of demonstrate and to show the world that Christ is already here, Mm -hmm. right? That Christ came into the world. He was incarnated, right? So that, because he's not scared of the world, right? To, to show Mm -hmm. this kind of deep illumination of what creation was made to be, what it can be, what it will be again. Yeah. Um, and that can be as simple as, uh, when you're at the RBs or the, whatever saying grace. Exactly. Exactly. I've watched, I've watched people watch that happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you can see the gears turning like, why don't we say that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago, but I don't know if I can do it now. Can I remember how to pray? And I can see that whole thing happening. Yeah. And I think it comes down to too, just like being willing to say those things, admit those things, right? Like the person who said to you that they thought that the confession had gone away with it or that we had done away with confession or just like if you realize that you have something in your mind that maybe you have a hint at, like Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't right, just being willing to vocalize it. Yeah. I think so much of that is just being authentic about what we do and don't know. Right. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, Especially within our families, Right. Right. Um, Parents, children, both alike. Communication has to happen in a family. Exactly. Um, You know, Catholic families also know how to suffer. Mm -hmm. This is probably something that's not news to anyone uh, listening, but... Um, this could be from simple inconveniences like having to take off work when a kid's sick mm-hmm. or to maybe those really heavy and stressful things, um, conflicts over maybe like addictions, mm-hmm. wrong kinds of friends, um, families learning to kind of bear with each other, see through rough patches, right? There's different seasons of life that can be something out of a horror movie, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So just how do we endure it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then learning to see these experiences for like the humbling redemption that they are, right? That there is hope even in these moments, that hope can never be, um, eradicated from these moments. Yeah. Um, we also just have to kind of be humbled to the fact that the conflicts between the family and the outsiders, right, will increase in these coming years. And what we mean by outsiders are basically just kind of the culture at large, but Mm -hmm. also just people who maybe openly or even inadvertently are trying to antagonize the family as is. Yeah. Right. I have Um, a young family who was saying, I'm going to have to explain to my daughter in, you know, 10 years or so Mm -hmm. 
why I don't want her on social media. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he says, so I now have to be responsible on social media. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So just like all these different conflicts that maybe we're already seeing starting to arise that, um, and it's, again, it's usually those things that require kind of extra explanation because the culture yeah. doesn't understand. No. And provides its own limited explanation that comes across as gospel. Exactly. Um, but in all of this, realizing that like God is near, I, I, it's one of my favorite things to contemplate is that how the nearness of God, right? Um, and John Paul II again says, just as the infidelity of Israel, but we could also say the infidelity of modern society, right? Just as that does not destroy the eternal fidelity of the Lord, eternal fidelity. Therefore, the ever faithful love of God is put forward as the model of the faithful love which should exist between spouses, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that eternal fidelity that we kind of anchor ourselves to, we tether ourselves to it. Um, and there we, we are always cognizant of the nearness of God and God's nearness to us. Um, so then we can kind of rest in that reality that the Catholic family is rooted in the spirit of God. Um, and so really the, the family is best viewed and appreciated and understood in this noblest created analogy, um, as the noblest created analogy of the divine Trinity, right? If you want to understand the Trinity, right. In the most, um, maybe kind of straightforward way, this side of heaven, you just look at the family, yeah. right? It's one of the hardest the reason uh, it's there. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to dogmatically categorize. Yeah. And I actually, I hate when people try to like make analogies to the Trinity because it's, it's always heresy. <laughs> but <laughs> like, if you want to, if you want to know what the Trinity looks like, you look at the family. Yeah. Right. Um, it's that fruitful interpersonal relationship between a husband and wife that results in a new person, right? The a love that is so powerful that it is another person. Mm -hmm. um, well, it, while also incorporating both suffering and, joy exactly yeah um hmm. so that divine family right is always there especially when this or that catholic family is celebrating in joy or maybe it's good to refer us to remind ourselves of all of this um when there's those times of suffering um but realizing that this is our anchor right our anchor is always in christ it's always in god always in the trinity um who desires not only to um to lead us more towards him but even in this life to help us participate in that that eternal marriage of christ and his bride very bride true. the church. Yeah. And then that's us. That's, that's us. us. We are the bride. Yeah. And so there is definitely um, a lot to be said about the family, but we hope maybe this helps you uh, with a little bit of, of kind of beginning to think about this. Maybe you haven't thought about this in the midst of your family. Uh, and maybe you are perhaps picking up on, man, if we're going to do this Christianity thing right, if we're going to really be Catholic, um, do can I be willing to be a little weird, seen as a little weird in the eyes of the world? Uh, and yet that's where the saints are made because mm -hmm. you know what? The saints were weird <laughs> and all of us are called to be saints. Uh, and you know what? One of the other things that uh, all of us are all called to, it's that part of the show that we like to call the CU pick of the week. Oh, righty. Okay. For our, uh, for our first pick of the week, uh, the, the, the ladies in the studio are noticing all of our graphics yeah. on, on video. So if you happen to be watching us on the, the wow. video stream, there's yeah, brand new stuff. We're they're, fancy. They're yellow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So pick of the week, Kathleen, I guess you have to start because, well, you're here. All right. I am here. That, well, what an intro. Other, Whether you like it or not. Otherwise, we would have started you're with right. well, You're here. Well, I'll tell you this. I did go to the LSU Florida game last night. Go 
Tigers because we whooped it. It's true. But before the game, I thought this was really cool. We They had um, the United States Special Operations Command Parachute Team Ooh. or the Paracommandos. Oh. Oh. Three guys jumped out of a helicopter two miles up in the air um, and and landed on the eye of the tiger. It was the coolest thing. They had a team down below that was kind of like amping up the crowd and telling us which one each one represented. The last one um, actually carried a POW flag, and so it was in Mm. honor of all those um, prisoners of war and those who are missing in action. Mm. But it's this really cool group of of military people, right, comprised of active duty special operators such as Army Special Forces, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, Air Force Combat Controllers, and Marine Raiders. Yeah, and they do this. This is what they do they parachute they jump out of perfectly good flying machines um you know in in order to um bring you know at the at these special events mostly you know a lot of football games um but to bring awareness uh, um and to honor to the military um and it is really really cool i I, you know i've seen a lot of military stuff i have military military in my family um but it was really cool to see three guys land in succession on the eye of the tiger midfield you know of that takes precision yeah and they have there's a really cool video we're going to link to on facebook if you if you uh research um or search not research socom s-o-c-o-m paracommandos they have a video of one of the guys who jumped out and it's his whole it's his whole journey down it's really really cool um and if they have any openings that they need you know somebody to work with all the military men Say, so Kathleen, do you mean to tell me that your pick of the week this week is a bunch of dudes? Yep. Yes, it is. And I'm not ashamed. All right. Okay. That's because the Swiss Guard aren't readily available. That's I right. Know. The Swiss Guard. Sometimes you got to go They certainly are propelling out of helicopters. I know. The Swiss Guard will have had to uh, to actually jump out of uh, uh, something and land on Kathleen's roof, uh, yeah. I think. Impress oh. me. I'm, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> She's ready to be impressed. Okay, Olivia, impress us with your pick of the yeah, week. Yeah, well, that never happens when I follow Kathleen, so just, uh, yeah. like, move on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm actually, I'm really excited about my pick of the week because I love coffee. Mm. She does. I drink coffee every day, and I have since I was, like, two years old. Coffee, oh. milk, what's up? All right, so Parish Coffee is a, a newer roasting company. I don't know. Ro- Roastery. 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 Um, based out of Kenner. That's um, I don't know how exactly how new they are. Yeah, Kenner, bro. Kenner is um, a uh, is a suburb of New Orleans for those yes. of you joining us elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and it's really delicious. I don't typically go for flavored coffees because mm-hmm. I don't want anything standing between me and my caffeine. Mm-hmm. But they have some really interesting flavors number one but they're also really well done like i've had their bananas foster Ooh, yes. which yes who child is mm-hmm. delicious um and i was also looking on their website which we'll link to um and they have all kinds of like you would not even contemplate that they would have this many as well as just your regular dark medium light coffee and chicory um but they also have uh like almond and amaretto oh yes wow. okay right um what else yeah they have Let's see if I can find it real quick. Um, all kinds of like um, birthday cake, um, yeah, s'mores, autumn spice, yeah, caramel praline. The like, usual. I'm kind of depressed. I need something that tastes yes. like cake. But also, like yeah. if you're starting to think about gifts and you want to get someone like something truly unique Ooh, from yeah. like a really cool area in the uh, world, there you go. South Louisiana is here for you, baby. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's a good pick of the week. I might have to look that up and mm-hmm. see if any of my local. 
uh, supermarchés have uh, parish coffee. Yes. Yes. Any of that uh, chocolate chip cookie dough? Uh, I could eat a cookie uh, dough. Anything. I tell you, I don't know about the yeah cookie dough. Oof, anyway, all right, Jeff. You, sorry, oh, yeah. I was I was busy uh, thinking quickly, about cookie uh, show dough. Show of hands, who likes uh, macaroni and cheese? Oh, oh yes. 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 there we go. Yeah, yeah we got this unanimous. Yeah. I don't know if you've tried the uh, Chick Fil A's mac and cheese. Oh, it is so yes, good. It's so close. Oh, that's new, to isn't homemade. it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. new on their menu, oh. and uh, they really haven't changed their menu much. Mm-hmm. in a few years they had one thing they used to uh, used to love is the uh, carrot raisin salad but they did away with that a few years did ago. they really do yeah, away with the carrot yeah, raisin yeah, yeah. salad but that's okay i guess if you're replacing um, it with mac and cheese but that's the like, mac and cheese baby it it's right good so, uh, <laughs> that's my pick of the week Oh my! Well, I might have to make my way down to uh, to my local Chick Fil A. I don't have a local Chick Fil A. To my distant Chick Fil A, <laughs> and try the mac and cheese. So, out. what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week. Okay. Uh, normally, when you think about college chant, you think about uh, what you yell in the football game, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. The football field. Uh, but uh, my college was a college seminary, a Benedictine college seminary, and perhaps the best example of music that we got all year long was Holy Week. Mm. And uh, the monks uh, have written a, a lot of these these pieces of music in addition to some of the more traditional Gregorian chants, etc. And the only place that you could get this music was by going to the liturgies of Holy Week at St. Joseph Abbey in Covington, Louisiana. Oh. Until now, um, the Journey Through Holy Week CD uh, is, uh, is now out and about. Um, and so all the way from Palm Sunday through the Easter Vigil, Very you can cool. hear kind of the, the top 17... Wow. Um, hymns and songs that uh, that play uh, that that are that are done during the liturgies of Holy Week at Saint Joseph Abbey. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll even give these to, to Jeff so that he can start running them oh, as he likes Very on cool. uh, on the morning show. So uh, Journey Through Holy Week, featuring the Scola Cantorum of Saint Joseph Seminary College, recorded at Saint Joseph Abbey wow. in Saint Benedict. So. There you go. That's my pick of the week. It's also available for digital download and not just CD. All right. Jeff, we are grateful for all of those who um, who watch and who listen and who yes. pray for us. And this week, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people just like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash donate. Uh, an important way to support us is to like us, heart us, star us, and share us on your social media platform of choice. And if you really like our podcast, be sure to go by iTunes, leave us a review, and click on them stars. I don't know how that works now because you know uh, I just updated my iOS or my operating system, yeah, yeah, and it ain't no more iTunes. So I don't know. I guess you have to go in the podcast mm. app. I just noticed that uh, mm-hmm. not not too we'll long ago. It. Here, yeah. we'll figure it out and we'll <laughs> tell you about it. Our panelists have been Kathleen Lee. She is the Faith Ninja, our Hope Samurai at K Lee six two six on Instagram. Yes, indeed. Thank you, thank you, uh, Olivia Galino. She's at the dot real dot omg thank you olivia thank you oh my goodness real deal yeah the real the real deal Uh, okay (laughs) i'm gonna get in trouble after the show our tech director is jeff blackwell he's at jeff blackwellis on instagram and twitter you can check out everything that he does at jeffblackwell.us thanks jeff thank you father it's a privilege our research assistant the leader of the crew in the lab is jim hayes our video and graphics director is ed ball and you know me i'm father chris you can follow me on instagram at digital catholic we hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice We are the Catholic Underground, we're Faith Gone Digital, and we'll see you next time.
from the Catholic underground.